Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone, and thanks for downloading another weekly episode of the Money Girl podcast. My name is Laura Adams. I'm a personal finance expert and award-winning author of multiple books, ebooks, and audiobooks, and I've been producing this show since 2008. April is Financial Literacy Month, so I'm celebrating by bringing you a series of interviews from experts on a variety of topics. Last week, we had an interview about travel insurance. This week, I've got an interview for you with someone who is a real expert in real estate, the law, and specifically tax law. And I think you're going to see that we're going to talk about this in plain English, so it's going to be super simple to understand. This show is for anyone who is a homeowner or maybe you want to be a homeowner one day. Eventually, you're going to sell your home. And there are a lot of issues that you need to be aware of and costly mistakes that you can make if you're just not aware that those mistakes could be out there. So most of us will sell a home in our lifetimes. They say, on average, we're going to buy and sell between five and seven homes in our lifetimes. So this is something that you're going to need to get comfortable with. And even if you're already very experienced with selling homes, I'm pretty sure you'll find something interesting in today's show. This is a great time to talk about it because spring is a pretty busy time for home buyers and sellers who are looking to make a, a good deal and they want to make a move when it's starting to get warm outside and the school year is coming to a close. But selling a primary home or even an investment property comes loaded with tax consequences that you need to know. So I interviewed Collier Swecker about key considerations that home sellers should know in order to pay less. He is a founding partner of the Mega Agent Real Estate Team. They're recognized as a number one REMAX team in the Birmingham, Alabama market. Collier is also a distinguished home light agent. He was awarded for ranking in the top 1% of all agents in his area. And on top of all of those terrific accolades, Collier graduated from Auburn with a law degree and from Washington University with a Master of Law in Taxation. So he knows his stuff when it comes to tax law and real estate. After he got out of school, he founded his own law firm in Auburn, Alabama for three years and then left that practice in 2006 to pursue a new career in real estate development and sales. And so that's what he's been doing ever since. Some of the things that we talk about include common costly mistakes for first-time home sellers, how to avoid up to half a million dollars in capital gains tax on a home sale, what to consider when selling an investment property or a rental property, home records that you should keep in order to make sure that you can pay less tax, why paying for title insurance on a home is so critical, we talk about tips for choosing the best real estate agent to sell your property, and we talk about the 
differences between selling a single-family home versus a condo or townhouse, and much more. This is episode number 587, called Selling Your Home, Avoid These Costly Mistakes, and Pay Less Tax. Okay, on to the interview. Collier, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Laura, it's so so glad to be with you and uh, just so excited because you do such a great job, you know, getting the message out there about personal finance and, and excited that you're going to be talking about, you know, get, folks getting their homes sold and making the right decisions when they do it. Yeah. So I did a show recently about first-time home buyers, And so I thought it would be good to also talk about the selling side. And you are kind of a unique person in this space because not only are you a real estate professional, but you've got a law background and a tax background. So you just seem like the perfect person to talk to about it. Well, thanks for that. You know, it, Sure. And, and I got the student loans to prove it, too. But uh, with that background. But yes, and I, I'm, you know, I'm really passionate about home ownership and, and really making the right decisions through, as you said, you talked about before the home buying, but really, you never know when you're going to move, whether it be, you know, you're in your mid 20s, uh, or you might have been in that house for 10 years. But there are some real decisions that have to be made to save money. So let's talk about some of those. If you are selling for the first time, I'm curious about maybe some of the common questions that come up. Uh, Where do people get tripped up when they are selling for the first time? Well, you know, there's so much confusion about, am I going to have to pay capital gains tax? Do I have the right records? Have I, have I, uh, I took a home equity line of credit out. What does that mean for me? Really, it all comes back to that capital gains because, you know, if you ask your grandfather, there were different rules the IRS had 20, 30, 40 years ago, slightly different, you know, and just understanding those and and making sure that just like anything else, you can prove uh, your ownership and and that you've kept all those records since you purchased the home. So capital gains, this is the profit that we make on the home. And we have a really great opportunity to exclude those gains if we've lived in the home for at least two years. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, I I would definitely encourage anybody to at least stay in the home that long if they can, because there's some, some nice tax benefits, right? Absolutely. And this is probably one of the, if you look at the tax code, it's probably one of the most uh, unique and nice things they've given us. And one way to really build a nest egg through home ownership. And and in order to qualify for the capital gains exclusion that you referenced, uh, you must have owned a house for two years and lived in it as your primary residence for two out of the last five years. And in order to do that, you have to pass three tests. One is the ownership test that, we, that I just mentioned, owned the home for at least two years. Then you must have lived in it for at least two full years. Now, that doesn't have to be consecutive, and you could have lived in it one year, and then two years later lived in it another year. They do not have to be consecutive. And the other test that must be met is that you didn't take this exemption within the last two years, immediately prior to the sale. So, you know, theoretically, it, when you qualify for this, you technically could have rented the house for two years where you lived in it, and then you owned it for another two years, and you'd still qualify for it. So it's a, it, as long as you can meet these tests, you'll be able to take that capital gains uh, are $250,000 of gain for an individual and $500,000 of gain uh, for a married couple. 
and totally excluded. And I think one of the biggest things that folks need to remember is this isn't the sales value of the home, what the sales price that you received uh, on the home. It's the actual gain. So it's this is the profit. And so for most of your listeners, this really won't have an issue going over that amount of gain. Or quite frankly, they should be real excited because they made a ton of money. Absolutely. Yeah. If you've got $500,000 of gain on your home, you have done very well. Um, Absolutely. And let's say, what's the opposite of that? Let's say you lose money on your home. The market value went down since you bought it. Can you deduct those losses? The IRS is so nice on the front side of this, they're not as nice on the back side. So they they typically, unless it's investment property, uh, you cannot deduct the capital gains so long as it was your primary residence. There are exceptions, of course, to everything, and without getting into the weeds on that, uh, you would have some argument if you had converted it to investment use and that sort of thing. I've got a home in Florida that I rented out. I've done that a lot. I've owned homes and then moved on to another home, but kept the old home as a rental property. And we just got a contract on it, and I'm looking at selling that home after it was an investment. What are some things that I should be thinking about, you know, when it comes to taxes on that property? I'm glad you mentioned that because that is one of the biggest questions that comes up especially with a lot of these millennials, uh, Gen Z, I think that's the next generation, you know, that that are really, they're really into getting involved in real estate investing. And they have that new home, that, that first home that they, they purchased. And, you know, they're, they're thinking, Hey, maybe I'll just convert it to a rental like, like you did. And you got to be real careful because you have to make that decision of whether or not this capital gains exclusion that we're talking about you're more beneficial at either selling it right away and taking away the capital gains and uh, taking advantage of the capital gains exclusion uh, or putting it into a rental and making money in the depreciation and all that goes with that. And I think that's real important to remember that when you're making that decision, make sure your your agent is discussing that with you or getting you with a CPA, tax advisor, attorney that can explain those options to you. Because you don't want to make a mistake. Now, more specifically to your question as to what you should be looking forward to when you're selling that investment property is whether or not, hey, am I ready to recognize those gains? And is it, am I going to stay? Am I going to use the money or the proceeds from the sale and put it into a new property, a rental property somewhere else? Uh, say another part of Florida. You mentioned Florida. Great. I mean, tons of rental opportunities there, obviously. Am I going to use what's called uh, IRS 1031 like kind exchange so I don't have to actually recognize uh, the capital gains at this time and kick the can down the road? That is the most popular and good thing was the Tax Cut and Jobs Act that Donald Trump signed in December of 17 uh, did extend that. I don't want to call it a, ever call it a loophole, but uh, exemption, you know, to uh, kick uh, the can down the road on capital gains. Uh, for investment property. Talk to us a little bit about the selling side. If you've never worked with a listing agent on a home, what are some things that you should look for and talk to a potential agent about before you sign that listing agreement with him or her? Well, I think it's first and foremost important that you you recognize that the real estate agent, if you're going to 
have a good real estate agent. They're going to be the most important uh, advisor in the process. And that's why, you know, I work with a company named Homelight.com. Many of your listeners are familiar with them. And, you know, one of the best things that they've done is they make sure that their realtors, you know, have the relevant experience selling similar homes and getting the best outcome for their clients. And not only that, what I think is so important, you know, you mentioned my background as a tax attorney, uh, not only that, but I understand the home closing process from not only the realtor side, but the attorney side, making sure that that agent has a network of folks in their market, in your local market, that when they don't know the answer to, that they can get the answer that's so vitally important to your financial future. Because think about this. What if that agent uh, doesn't bother to ask you, because if they've done their homework, they know how long you've owned the house, and you've owned the house for one year and 10 months. Well, we might not want to close on that house for another two months. Are they aware of that situation? Are they abreast of other issues that may come up on locally regarding taxes, property taxes, local zoning, those type things? Do they feel like they really have a good idea uh, of what's going on in your market? And also, don't be afraid to ask them about the history of their sales. Where have they sold? What price points are they in? Because not all things, you know, you mentioned you have an investment property. Do they have the ability to have sold or the knowledge to sell to other investors? Because I'm sure that your investment property was a really good investment. And do they have folks that they can reach out to that they can explain competently about rents, about the tax implications, those type of things, and explain why it's a good investment for them? So every situation is different, but making sure you're asking those right questions can really make a huge difference when you're hiring and ultimately in the outcome of whether or not uh, it's a profitable transaction for you in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So you mentioned an important deadline for ownership, and that's a year. Why is that deadline important? Why do you want to cross that year threshold of ownership? Capital gains always is one year if you're talking about an investment property. It's the difference between long-term capital gains and short-term capital gains. And don't get this confused, though, uh, with the exclusion that we talked about earlier that has separate rules uh, related to your primary residence. That's a totally different IRS exception. So it's really important on that investment property to make sure that we go past, because the difference is uh, short-term capital gains is taxed at ordinary income tax rates versus long-term uh, capital gains rates, which typically are 15% for most of us. Sometimes it's 20%, but again, the vast majority of us are going to deal with uh, 15% capital gains rates. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Money Girl is sponsored by Claritin. If you're like me and you suffer from allergies, you know this time of year can be pretty rough. There's a lot of sneezing, itchy eyes, congestion, and they can really hold you back from living the life you want to live. Luckily, for those with allergies, 
you can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This is a product designed for serious allergy sufferers. It's got two ingredients in one pill that relieve allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combo of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant relieves all the symptoms that you suffer. And what I love about Claritin D is that it starts working in as little as 30 minutes. Plus, it's non-drowsy, so you can still make the most of your day. I can take Claritin D and then get on the mic and record a podcast without being too congested. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hey there, I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts, Freakonomics Radio. Every week, host and best-selling author Stephen Dubner dives into the hidden side of business, economics, and so much more. He interviews CEOs, historians, and Nobel laureates to explore all kinds of topics, like why the best employees can make the worst bosses, and how whales went from being economic engines to environmental icons. If you're a curious person looking to better understand the world around you, you'll find everything you're looking for on Freakonomics Radio. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So talk to me a little bit about the documents that you need to have. I think a lot of people are trying to go paperless these days. You know, they want to have as little in their filing cabinet as possible. But when it comes to real estate, there really are some paper documents that you do need to hold on to. So what are some things that we want to be sure that we've got so we can prove some of these, you know, these expenses that are going to relate to taxes later on? Well, you you hit it on the head. Everybody wants to go, even their closing attorneys are going uh, uh, paperless. So making sure you have everything. I would tell you, closing statements from when you bought the house and when you sell the house. What they now call a closing disclosure. You may have heard it when you bought the house as a HUD-1 settlement statement. So, of course, they're changing the name, but not the purpose of the document. So let's just call it a closing statement. You'll remember it by all the money that you were charged. You'll have all the figures, facts and figures in a line and tell you how much you're paying for that home or when you're selling it, how much you're, uh, you know, all the fees that you have for sale. Then there's another one that is really interesting that certain situations, the title insurance company, depending on your state or closing attorney will issue, it's called a form 1099S. And it really is a form that just reports the sale to the IRS. Most settlement agents, which we'll call settlement agents for both title attorney and closing attorneys, we will, uh, they will issue this. And this, like I said, reports it, but many will not, will get you to sign a form that will just acknowledge that you are exempt under the capital gains exclusion that we talked about earlier. If you receive one of these, you still must file it and report it on your tax return. If you do get one, it does not mean that you're subject to the taxes necessarily. So don't freak out and say, oh my gosh, I thought I was excluded. Don't worry about that. You can report. You need still need to report it on your tax return, but you're going to be all right because they're still not going to tax you on it, assuming that you're, you uh, really did meet the criteria that we talked about. The other thing is, we need to make sure we're keeping all of our paperwork regarding home improvements, uh, repairs that we made. And why do we do that? The most important reason to do, keep the home improvement is so that if it becomes an issue and you're in one of these areas like 
I mean, I was in New York City recently, and I was just looking, you know, at home prices. Wow, <laughs> they can easily go over this exemption, right? This five hundred thousand dollars. So they're going to really want to know uh, what additions to my cost basis, so that when I uh, compute my capital gains, uh, what what went into that? So making sure you have a uh, receipt for all the improvements that you made. And then relative to repairs, what repairs were made? This is going to be really important because the buyer of the home will want to know that you got it done or that you have warranty work that needs to be done, making sure you keep that. I know it's not related to directly to your bottom line, but it is in the sense that um, during that closing process, you're going to want to make sure you got all your ducks in a row and having all that information can be so important. Yeah. You've mentioned title insurance a couple times. Explain what that is and, and why we have to get that when we close a transaction in real estate. You know, I, I had this discussion with my 80-year-old father not too long ago because he said, I don't need that. And I said, you don't need it till you need it. And it, title insurance basically insures title to the property that going way back that every the title insurance company has researched gone to the county courthouse and researched title and verifies that you're the uh, that title is good and able to be conveyed to you and that there are any fence lines, encroachments, easements across the property have been given to you. You know exactly what you're buying. And should something crop up and then we find out that 40 years ago, uh, somebody went through a divorce and didn't properly convey the property and Earl and Lucy owned the house at the time, and only Earl conveyed the property, so Lucy still has an ownership interest. You're going to think, hey, what do I do? Well, good thing is now that Lucy still somehow owns that property, that title insurance company is going to step in and make sure you haven't lost any of your investment and make sure that they can get the title back appropriately uh, into your name. If we are selling a, let's say, a condo versus a single family home or a townhouse, is there anything different about those transactions or anything special that, that we should take into consideration when selling? You, you know what? That is a fantastic question because oftentimes people just go into a condo. Remember, condo means you're going into business with, if it's 100 units, you're, you now have uh, 100 other uh, folks that you're in business with relative to joint costs swimming pools, common areas, uh, the exterior of the buildings, those type of things. And you need to really make sure, whether you're buying or selling, that you you know the finances of the association. You're entitled to that information. And if the association seems hesitant about giving to you, you need to really dig even further uh, because it's so vital because it affects which mortgage programs buyers can get uh, relative to that condominium development. Are, are they properly maintaining the, the common areas? Remember, if somebody sues that development because they trip and fell on a sidewalk that wasn't maintained, all 100 of you are going to be proportionally liable for any judgment that comes out of it. Do they have the proper insurances, to liability insurance, and do they have the proper building insurance? All these things are things that you go, golly, I didn't even really know this was going to be that complicated because when I bought my single family home, it wasn't a big deal. Well, the problem is here is that, again, you got so many moving parts to a condo, and then you, they may even have employees. Do they have the proper insurance to make sure that if, if money gets stolen 
or there's a harassment claim filed, is that insurance is, I mean, it is really a business that you're going into when you own a condo. Now, there's some great things about uh, owning a condo because they take care of so much for you. But obviously, with that, like everything else, you just need to do your homework. Is this a good time of year to be selling a property the springtime? Well, it, there is no better time because, you know, we oftentimes say that uh, 90% of the buying of the, of the, especially the single family homes, a lot of that decision is made by their kids are about to get out of school and they're trying to time that just right so that they can be out of school in May or June, depending on where you are in the country, and get into an, another house. Uh, in time for the school to uh, start again in August. So it's absolutely the time of the year where we see the greatest number of buyers in the market. So if you're a buyer, and really competition's good for everybody because it keeps it keeps the uh, the market honest and it creates competition. But within competition, sometimes you can get the best deals. So absolutely one of the great times of the year uh, to be out there. And I, I think we usually use spring break as our guide. So once everybody's done with spring break, that whole process of getting the kids back to school, uh, the parents can then turn their eyes towards, hey, now it's time to get the house ready. Now it's time to find the house where we're going. And quite frankly, the, the a lot of the – we're a very medical-driven co- uh, job community in our area, and they generally uh, do their hiring in the spring. So look at that as well, by the way, when – what is the biggest employer in your area, and when do they do the most hiring? Yeah, that's great. Uh, that combined with some really low mortgage rates right now, I think make it a very good time of year to be in the market. You have hit on the head. That's another thing that we heard so much going towards the end of 2018. You heard about the Fed, whether they were going to increase, keep increasing rates or they were going to uh, lower rates. And you know, every indication from the Fed now is that, that they're going to keep rates where they are. They may even bring them down enough because they, they've steadied the economy uh, where they believe it should be. And so, you know, and that's another important thing that I, that I think is important for your listeners to understand is that when they hear the news and they're all talking about uh, the Federal Reserve cut interest rates, that's not a mortgage rate that they're talking about. That's a key interest rate, basically, that banks loan money to each other with. Now, does it does it sometimes affect mortgage rates? Yes, because it moves the economy and the and the bond market. But really, get with your professional, whether it be your mortgage professional, your real estate agent, and and really talk to them about it. Because just everything you hear on the news doesn't necessarily mean it affects you directly. And a big distinction there. Collier, thank you so much for your tips and advice. This has been really great, and I know it's going to help anybody who is selling a home right now. Well, Laura, thank you so much, and uh, and thank you so much for all the uh, great tips over the years that you've given uh, all your listeners and me. I hope this was helpful. Real estate transactions can be somewhat complex, but I will say they get easier every time you buy or sell property and get to know the drill. I used to be in real estate. When I was in my 20s, I sold real estate and also used my license to invest in real estate. And I can tell you, it definitely gets easier, but there's a steep learning curve. So my best advice is to lean on the professional's who do it every single day. They're going to help you know how to prevent problems. They're going to know how to kind of look out for those snags that you don't even know exist or that are right around the corner. So they can be incredibly helpful to you. 
Thanks so much for downloading the show. Keep listening, learning, and leveraging your resources to grow richer every single day. And if you'd like to get a weekly update from me for even more information about how to improve your finances, please visit lauradadams.com or you can text the phrase get updates with no space get updates, send that to the number 33444. My email, it's really short. It's just filled with tips and some tools and resources that I think you might enjoy and will improve your financial life. If you've got a money question, feedback about the show, or ideas for future episodes, visit lauradadams.com to email me, or you can leave a voicemail message at 302-364-0308. Money Girl is produced by the audio wizard Steve Rickyberg with editorial support from the lovely Biana Santora. If you've been enjoying the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. And you might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all for now. I'll talk to you next week. Until then, here's to living a richer life. (laughs) 